Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 15, 13, 12, 11, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, in a speech to scientists involved with the moon landing, he said, This success belongs to all of humanity, and it will help moon missions by other countries in the future. I'm confident that all countries in the world, including those from the global south, are capable of capturing success. We can all aspire to the moon and beyond. And there are a lot of people aspiring to the moon and beyond. As space travel becomes cheaper, it costs more to make the movie Interstellar than it did India to land on the moon. More players are entering the space race. And who wins really matters. In his book, Future of Geography, author Tim Marshall says, Each time humanity has ventured into a new domain has brought war with it. Space is no different, and the potential battlefield is beginning to take shape. I sat down with Tim to discuss all this and more. I hope you enjoy. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics oh. Show Pubcast. Hello, Tim Marshall. Hello to you. <laughs> Thank you uh, for the invitation to come, come here. It's a real pleasure to have you here. We're here to talk about your new book, right. The Future of Geography. Uh, it's a follow-on from your, in your geography series. It's a great book. I really enjoyed Thank everything you. about it. Uh, before we get into it, could you just introduce yourself to the audience? Name's Tim Marshall, uh, was a full-time journalist, don't hate me. Um, I was a foreign correspondent for many, many years, probably one or two too many. And I quit that world about seven years ago and started trying to use the knowledge and experience to write about international relations, but I approach it from uh, often a geographic underpinning. Wrote a book called Power of Geography, it did quite well. And um, it's a good template. You know, we're not talking art here, we're talking craft. So I've used that template and I've now moved it up to space. 
what was the what was the impetus for that? When people talk about international relations, yeah. it's very much sub atmosphere. Yeah. No, no one. Well, I genuinely this is the first time I've ever thought about the politics of space, and it's it's fascinating. Yeah. What was the, the well? It, it's because it it has moved there, and the moment. I realised it. I mean, it was blindingly obvious, but it, you know, you don't always see what's blindingly obvious. It's just, yeah. Well, I write about international relations. International relations has clearly encompasses space now. So write about that. And then the more I did the research, the more I realised how uh, now this is um, because it encompasses politics, international relations, nation state, history, geography, warfare. Uh, and commerce. I mean, you know, it's, the whole thing has come together in space. What I found surprising in the book, what I think most people will find shocking, is that the global superpowers, the, it's, not, it's not going to be the next 50 years that they go to space, it's in the next, next 10? Yeah. Um, the next three, because in 2026, <laughs> uh, the Artemis Accords, led by the US, Britain is a member of that, and the, the uh, the Americans aimed to put a man and a woman, they stipulated man and a woman, walking on the moon, 2026. And that is all part of a bigger process to get a moon base by the early 2030s. China, with Russia as its junior partner, is working on a similar time frame. So you can see these two blocks are moving and they mirror the blocks uh, to a great extent on Earth. And after that, the idea is you get to Mars via the moon. And it's driven by three things. One is the romantic side, which is that restless human spirit of discovery. And the second one is that thing that's gone in parallel with that throughout our history, which is uh, rapacious greed, <laughs> in part. Um, no, it's, it's, it's driven a lot by commerce, because there are uh, a lot of minerals on the moon and the asteroids, which we need, actually, for some of the renewable technology here. But also, you the military aspect, you can't fight a modern war without access to space. And uh, all, therefore, all the major nations know they have to have a presence in space to be uh, relevant, I'm afraid. You touched there on the, the commerce side. What, what is there in space that could be commercialized? Um, well, the satellites, obviously, um, and, and that is a massive growth industry. Uh, there's already about 8,000 working satellites, but Musk in, alone intends to put 10,000 up this decade. The Chinese are going to put another 10,000 up. There's loads of small companies. Britain is actually uh, quite a senior player in, in satellites. So there's that. And then if you talk about asteroids, there's the rare earth metals that are on them. And then on the moon, you have got uh, lithium, You've got uh, silicon, uh, basically most of the metals that we need here for the renewables, for the renewable technology of the 21st century. And you've, you've got uh, tens of millions of gallons of water, and in the water is hydrogen and oxygen and helium-3, which is a potential new other power source. So it's all there. The economic modelling is uncertain, but you know, no one's going to risk missing out. And so there is something of an early Klondike gold rush going on. That's what I find interesting about this, is it, se it seems like the Wild West at the moment. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no rules, and the rules that we do have the space seem utterly unfit for purpose. They're all, uh, it reminds me of the, um, the Coke ads, like I'd like to buy a world of Coke. <laughs> like I'd like it. We can all share space, and space is nobody's, but yeah. we've been, it's been overtaken by... I think so. I mean, 
that was the, the Coke ad uh, is the sort of, actually, that is actually from pretty much the same time as the rules mm. of the road were written, the, the mid to late 60s, uh, and the Outer Space Treaty, 1967, where it stipulates very clearly space is for all humanity. There is no sovereignty. You cannot claim sovereignty. But it's, it's, the words are still there, but the treaty is completely out of date, and the uh, emotions behind it are being uh, pushed to one side in a race to get these precious resources, both at a state level and a, a major private enterprise level. So I argue in the book we, we, we really need a new space treaty for a bunch of things. One, to try to reaffirm this idea that there's no sovereignty, to get some sort of sharing mechanisms put in, but the rules of the road about uh, how long can you have an area for to exploit it? How close can one satellite be to another satellite? What are we going to do as a, a planetary species about space debris, which is a massive problem? And we just don't have these rules. And, uh, you know, given that it's going to get more crowded and busier and more competitive, there's an urgent need for new 21st century treaties. What is the current state of geopolitics and how does that interlink with space? I suppose that's a very big, broad question. No, but, it, no it's, but it's, it's bang on because there is this mirroring on mm. it. So, so, you know, we have this American-led block still uh, uh, on Earth. And then we have, I would argue, a block of authoritarian states. Now, China is by far the biggest authoritarian state. Russia is now its junior partner. And they are pulling into their orbit uh, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> countries such as uh, Nicaragua, authoritarian leader, uh, Belarus, obviously, uh, Eritrea, Iran, and they're trying to get them into their space block because the Americans won't allow Russia and China to cooperate anymore, which I think at a scientific level is a shame, but I understand it. So just as on Earth you have these blocks, the authoritarian block, the American-led block, it is, it is being mirrored up there. And um, that's why, although I argue for a space treaty, I doubt we'll get one until we're several more years into this. Because if you go back to uh, the 1940s, once we became aware that the, uh, the nuclear war was a, was a thing, um, it took years for them to get around the table to reduce the tensions between them. We'll probably have to go through a similar process in space. So we'll have to have, like, we'll be, get closer and closer to an active space war until they yeah. realise... Uh, and there's all sorts of reasons why. Um, for example, one satellite getting too close to another satellite because satellites are an integral part of our critical infrastructure now, um, just as much as pipelines and water supplies are. And uh, they're also our uh, nuclear early warning systems are, are inside the satellites. So if there's an attack on a satellite, it's going to be taken pretty seriously. And there's already tests... Four countries have already fired a ballistic missile from the surface of the Earth and hit one of their own satellites and blown them up to test. And, you know, they are not testing if they can blow any more of their own satellites up. No. They're testing something else. So I'm not saying we're about to go to war in space. We're not. But that danger is now there. So back to the rules, rules of the road. <laughs> you, also, there's, you lay out a few hypothetical examples of how geopolitics and space, consequences of actions could lead to a real escalation mm. and what and it, it and it seemed it seemed it kind of read like science fiction there's an example you gave about the russians landing their like lunar module too yeah. close to britain's yeah. and it, it the whole thing's 
I, I read it, but this is just, reads, it just reads like science fiction, but it's... Yeah, but doesn't it, or, so I hope simultaneously, it reads like something that, that if it wasn't for the space tech, it could happen on oh, Earth. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm quite old, and I was in, uh, in um, Kosovo when the Russian forces rolled in, and they got in there uh, because uh, 12 hours before NATO arrived at Pristina Airport, and I was at Pristina Airport, and... and um, the Russians had lined up their armoured column, and an American general, Wesley Clark, ordered the British um, tip of the spear go through them. And the British general said, I'm not going to start effing World War Three for you. And we didn't go through them. Now, it may not have been World War Three, but so, so there's something that happened in the recent history. So I've taken that mm. sort of episode and stuck it on the moon in, in 30 <laughs> years. And in that scenario, it's just that the, the British... Uh, and I need to add here, the Artemis Accords, one of their, the accords is that you can declare a safety zone. I can understand that. You've put millions into getting there, researching where to dig, and mining. And then someone under any of that just rocks up next to you and gets their shovel out. Mm. So you have a safety zone in which you know it's safer if nobody else is there. Tell me what law you're mm. going to quote. So in this pretend scenario, Russians are coming in and the Brits have blocked the landing zone and it all goes horribly wrong and there's a bit of a kerfuffle mm -hmm. before China rings up and the UN sorts it all out. So it was just, I just wanted to portray that, that all these things have always happened here. Why wouldn't they happen there yeah. as well? Yeah. So again, I mean, I keep coming back to it. Please, let's get rules of the road. Obviously, the, um, the key comparison, I suppose, or a, an obvious comparison, is the, the 60s space race between yeah. Russia and the US. But I, th I suppose a key difference is they didn't have private commercial yeah, actors. that's a massive difference. You've read this book, haven't you? I can tell. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loved it. Uh, God bless you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right to, 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 to pick that out because I argue, and I, I, I think it's pretty obvious, the, the space race in the 60s, especially getting to the moon, was about ideology. One system having to prove we are superior. Mm -hmm. Our political system, our commercial system, our scientists, our educational system. And the Russians were 2 nil up. They got the first satellite up, Sputnik. They got the first person in space, Gagarin. And then Kennedy said, we have to do this by the end of the decade, first on the moon. And they made it. And it was for ideological reasons, because when humanity had a sort of fork in the road of which system you're going to choose. Very different now. It's far more now about the commercial aspect of, of the potential, incredible uh, profits to be made, incredible amounts of the, of the raw materials that we need, that we can get, uh, and then the military aspect. And private enterprises absolutely, completely enmeshed in this. Whereas in the 60s and 70s, it was a sort of sideshow to the state. The state is still big, but, but what is very new is the, the degree to which private enterprise is, is inside this. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's the Politics Show podcast. You mentioned Elon Musk quite a lot in the book. What, what do you make of Elon Musk? I think he's a revolutionary genius. I think he's odd. I think he's a libertarian at heart, which has good and bad points in it. I do like his uh, quip that he wants to die on Mars, just not on impact. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, if you're referring to the freedom of speech and the Twitter stuff, I, I confess I haven't followed it as closely as I perhaps I, should have. I actually more meant in terms of um, SpaceX. Oh, well, no, in, in SpaceX... A lot of this could not have happened without him. He's massively reduced the costs. He looked up one day at one of his rockets falling back to Earth, you know, which was going to be destroyed, and he thought, why am I throwing away $400,000, whatever it was? And he pioneered this reusable rockets, reusable rockets, you know. You've massively reduced the costs. At the same time as um, the militarization, the Israelis are one of the pioneers of this. And as an aside, they... Nearly everybody launches west to east to take advantage of the rotation of the Earth to get a bit of extra speed. If you look at a map, there's a problem if Israel launches a rocket <laughs> west to east. So they launch the other way, which cut more fuel. So they thought, mm. so they pioneered one of the pioneers of miniaturizing satellites, and they're now as small as a Rubik's Cube, some of them, or a shoebox. So you can now get a constellation of like 20 satellites up as the part load of one rocket which is going to come back anyway, as opposed to a one-shot rocket with a fridge-freezer-sized satellite in it. So, that, so Musk and others are massively behind this incredible reduction, which is why there's 80 countries in space now. Which just seems mind-boggling when you think back to the 60s, when it was just the US and, and the Russians were just slogging it out. Yeah. Well, the Brits had some satellites, and one or two others, I think the Italians. But yeah, it, it was a handful and a handful of satellites. And now, as I said, there's 80 countries. Nigeria makes its own satellites. Um, lots of countries do. Um, there are 8,000 working satellites. Musk's going to put 10,000 10, more. The Chinese, 10,000 more. The Italians are putting them up. I mean, it's going to get crowded. Luckily, it's quite a big place. What's the worst case scenario for, the pol- for space being politicized? Oh, I, I, it's... It's inevitable. That, well, it is, and it will continue to be. Um, the worst case scenario is one. Well, there's one country deciding it will arm its satellites. As I said, there's already been these tests to kill a satellite with a missile from Earth. They work. There's now the technology to uh, take a drone out with a laser beam. It costs about a dollar of electricity. The missiles the Ukrainians are firing at the Russian um, uh, drones that are coming in, they cost sometimes $250,000. So I'm pretty confident I know which direction anti-drone warfare will go. A dollar shot, thank Mm -hmm. you. It's very easy to put those on satellites. Now, nobody has, God willing, nobody will. But the first country that puts a laser weapon on a satellite, every other country will do it. 
for defensive purposes only. So that would massively raise the stakes because then you're talking about not a, an amazing shot from Earth to kill a satellite, but just, you know, Wild West lasers. I mean, I know it sounds like sci-fi, but that exists mm -hmm. now. That's a major problem because then there would be these increased tensions and an increased arms race. The other one, though, isn't actually really to do with politics. It's the Kessler syndrome. NASA scientist in the 60s, Kessler, came up with this scenario. You seen the film Gravity? Yes. This, this is where they got the plot from. One satellite hits another, and at that speed they're going, it's, it's like water. They just, they just pass through each other, and then there's thousands of bits of metal. And they go around at 300,000 miles an hour and hit another one, and another one, and another one, cascade, until all you've got around the Earth is a belt of debris. Mm -hmm. You can't launch any more satellites. No more satellites? Don't bother calling Uber or Sainsbury or, or anything else you want to do or, because, because the economies will collapse. Or traversing the seas or in having a military campaign or the whole thing. anything. Because they are now integral into modern life. It's quite frightening how kind of precarious it is. Yeah, but technology has always been like that and we've always been frightened of it. I mean, I've got one of the analogies I use is stretching it, the Gutenberg Press. What a fantastic advancement in humanity's knowledge. But a few years after it came out, there were so many books proving that women were witches. <laughs> Burn them. You know, uh, which happened. You know, uh, the, uh, the Gutenberg Press was part of the process. Hundreds of women being burnt to death. Absolutely terrible. But you, you're not looking back through history and thinking, well, it should never have yeah. happened. You know, there are always these, these negative signs that we have to learn and go through before we uh, try to harness them. No, imagine, but the women being burned at the stake would have been like, oh, I wish that press hadn't been... No, <laughs> well, they, they, they would have, yeah. <laughs> then, conversely, what's the, what's the ideal situation? Well, that we rapidly approach uh, very good binding treaties, that we recognise uh, as, a, as a species that cooperation is the way ahead, and... Um, that the stuff we get is used for the benefit of humanity. And there is a possibility of this. I mean, the medical experiments that are going on in space are amazing and will benefit us all. Uh, there are scenarios a few years out, fields of solar panels in space, because they can deflect the sun's solar energy down 24-7 because there's no night and day up there. Therefore, you can put the solar into the fields of receivers on Earth and it can then feed out straight into the grid. Because one of the problems at the moment is that we haven't invented the batteries that can store the power. So they soak it all up. Well, they don't soak it up. They get the sun's rays and put it straight out. It's like a solar panel if you've got one on your house. Soaks it, receives it, powers your house. The moment it goes dark, it goes dark. But because we haven't got the batteries. This, it's coming down all the time. It's not dark. It's, it, you know, you're getting the energy. Mm -hmm. So there's, there are many very positive things. I mean, there's a strong argument, don't bother with it all. We've got too many problems here. I don't think they're, I think they're complementary, not contradictory. I think we can try and sort stuff here and we can try and make sure that what's going on there is part of that process. Am I optimistic? Always. Well, that's good to hear, <laughs> but to my, maybe I'm just less, less optimistic. It reminds me of, you know the film Don't Look Up? Yeah where great humanity yeah, comes yeah. together to deflect the asteroid, but one billionaire realises he can mine the asteroids that like, don't destroy it. In my head, that's a lot more feasible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun film, isn't it? it is, uh, um, well, 
Yeah, I mean, they use the 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 the, the, the conceit of this massive thing getting mm. closer in order to make fun of popular culture and its obsession and the media, <laughs> its obsession with froth. <laughs> um, and and it was and it's a, it's it's a justifiable vehicle. I love the end scene. Um, but two years ago, uh, there was a multi-nation uh, effort, and it worked. It was called Dart. We sent a missile. Um, well, we sent a rocket up with uh, um, something on the head, and we hit uh, an asteroid um, that was. Uh, revolving around another asteroid, it was a big asteroid, a little asteroid, and we hit, and it's 100 million miles away or something, we hit it and deflected it off course. It wasn't going to hit Earth, we were just testing, and, and the test was complete. We have proved we can deflect an asteroid. So we are aware of these problems, and we are, some people are working to solve them because you know that that's a that's a planet-ending scenario, the, the asteroid scenario, and solar flares is is a real issue. Uh, there was one in the 70s that knocked out the grid in Canada for two days. Every light bulb, every fridge, every traffic light, and that, and people are working on how to mitigate against that. So you know there's a lot of good stuff going on, but you know you're you're in journalism. We when I was in in it. In, TV, we used to have this phrase that we don't film houses not burning down. <laughs> you know, you mm -hmm. film houses burning down. Um, and, and I think we should do more to let the audience know that this is not a snapshot of the world, actually. This is a snapshot of the houses that are burning down. Everywhere else, most of the time, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Less interesting TV, though, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but I think we, you know, we need to mm -hmm. make sure that people are aware that this is not the world. This is a part of it. You make the point in your book that everyone, humans throughout since the beginning of time have thought about space yeah. and examined space. And you make the point that things will happen in space and there'll be technologies that we can't, we can't begin to comprehend. It'd be like, yeah. I think you used the analogy, it'd be like a fish imagining fire. Well, that, like that. That's Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, he said, um, we've got about as much concept of what might come as a fish understands electricity. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you to be that fish. Yeah. So say, say we were having, yeah. say in 10 years time, we have this conversation again. What do you think future, what is space like then? Oh, in 10 years is actually quite easy. Uh, okay. No, really, in, in 10 years, there's probably laser armed satellites. There'll be bodyguard satellites to get in the way of other satellites. Um, there'll be an increased integration between warfare and, and space. Um, there'll probably be a space station. Uh, the Artemis Accords plan a space station. The Chinese will have uh, an even bigger one. The beginnings of the moon bases will will be there. So, yeah, 20, we're talking tw uh, 30, uh, 2033. Um, and there will be some advances that I can't. But if you're talking about, um, you know, 100 years, then you can just let your imagination run riot. Because uh, I didn't put this in the book, but, uh, and I don't even know if this story is true, but it serves as an analogy. Apparently, at the same time as uh, the first cars were coming out, there was a particular car manufacturer who built his prototype and was asked, how many are you going to make? And he said, about 10,000. Why so few when there's 
so many of us. He said, I don't think there's that many chauffeurs that could be employed. Because his concept was, <laughs> if, you, you know, if you can afford a car, you're obviously quite well off. All the well-off people have got horse and carts. They've got someone who rides it for them. So he couldn't make that leap. So there's going to be things that are invented that we, we, won't, we won't know the ramifications of them until then we look back and think, oh, yeah. I mean, we do it all the time on Earth, we, all the time. Um, you know, your generation, for example, mobile phones. Now, they were actually relatively new, mm. relatively new, but you, you just, it was just normal. Mm -hmm. You know, it, and, and they become, these things just become normal, even though they're actually straight out of Star Trek, as far as I'm concerned. My final question for you, geopolitics, back on Earth, are you hopeful about it? I'm, I'm sanguine. Um, uh, I don't want to quote too much of the Bible here, but there's Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. I think that's quite useful to think that. I mean, yeah, obviously there's new stuff, you know, there's inventions, but the point is that we've seen a version of it before. So every generation, and as they get older, say, oh, it's not like it used to be. Yeah, of course it isn't. <laughs> that was then and this is now, and it's usually better now. Um, so, you know, we're going through a very difficult, very bumpy period. We're back into great power politics. And we've come out of the end of the Cold War into what I wrote then. This is a holiday from history. This is not normal, this peace and love and joy and prosperity. This is a holiday from history. War in Europe, which was unthinkable. No, it's very thinkable. Mm. So it's actually not that different. So, I, I mean, this is very contested, but Stephen Pinker wrote a book, uh, The Better Side of Our Nature, and he puts a lot of stats in showing how humanity has pretty much been on the upward scale for 400 years. I subscribe to that. Now, you can give me a million reasons why it's awful, a million reasons of suffering and poverty, but I actually think the metrics suggest humanity is getting better um, there's less absolute poverty, there's medical breakthroughs, and I know I would much rather be alive now than two or three hundred years ago. So uh, on that, I'm actually quite positive, and we will come out of this incredibly difficult multilateral uh, world, and we'll carry on. I just, I mean, I would just advise people understand it, uh, study it, or whatever. But don't worry about it, because yeah, what's that going to do? <laughs> <laughs> On that hopeful note, uh, Tim Marshall, thank you very thank much you for your time. Much. Thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed that. Make sure to join us on our subreddit, r slash politics Joe, and to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, 
a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.